going to take a, a moment and uh, just say hello and welcome to you once again and to those of uh, our family and friends who are listening to us on the podcast this morning. Um, we miss you. Hopefully this makes you feel like you're connected with us. We love you and we hope to see you, you soon. Um, and I want to kind of have this preface here. This is a very positive, feel good, happy you should leave here, you know, on top of the world kind of message. I'm telling you that because it may take a while for us to get there. And there may be moments as we're getting there, you go like, wait, I thought this was going to be a happy, positive message. What are you doing? Well, we're going to have to, to wade through it, um, wade, through, <laughs> wade through the situation to get to the truth that I hope that you see today. Another thing I want you to realize, too, is I'm going to be reading from up here from the New King James Version. You're going to be reading up on the screen or at home, whatever version you have. But we're very similar, just a couple words here and there. And so let's go back. We've been talking about this, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica here for a couple weeks. And actually, we've been on the first four measures, or first four measures. I, I all of a sudden became a musician. The first four scriptures, the verses, um, for a while. And today we go from verse 4 to the verse 10. Um, but what we've picked up on this, and I think is very timely, is this, is that the way that we conceive the future sculpts the present. The way that we perceive the future sculpts the present, because it will, the way we perceive how things are going to be, will give contour and tone to almost every action and thought that we have. And if our sense of the future is weak, if our sense of the future is bleak, then we are going to live listlessly. We're going to live bleakly. We're going to live with little hope. If we think tomorrow is not going to be any better, or it's going to be worse than today, then we're going to walk around and, you know, that, I don't know if anybody else does this on Sunday, but about Sunday around five o'clock, you sit there and go like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. Ever do that? No. Oh, where did the weekend go? And then that kind of can, for me, change the whole way that I look at the rest of this day. And we talked about if I can only make it through here, if I can only make it through here. The way that we look at the future is really going to determine how we live today. And I'm bringing all this up because I don't know if you've heard or not, but um, there's an election coming up this week. I don't know if you've picked up on that at all. Um, Tuesday, evidently it's a pretty big deal. And depending on who you listen to, everything's going to be great on Wednesday or Friday or February 18th. Whenever we figure out who won, everything's going to be perfect and rosy or everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket, depending on who you listen to. I mean, we are, actually, we are either very, very concerned or worried. And what I'm going to get at today is quite possibly something that will make some of you mad at. And I don't care, um, because I'm tired of feeling this way. Um, and that's why I wanted to go back and say that the way that we view the future will determine how we live today. And if we're looking at what's going to happen this week, and this isn't going to be a real political, this isn't at all political, um, I think you've picked up, I'm, I'm pretty much tired of, of both sides. You know, the thing I woke up this morning, 
aren't you all looking forward to the two or three days that we'll have after the election where we don't hear campaign ads? That you know, the three, four days we have that was the joke. The three, four days we'll have before the next cycle of campaign ads are aren't you ready for that? Because seriously, if if you didn't know anything about how we do politics, and I don't think it's just here in the States, I think it's all over. If you're an alien looking to invade this planet and you listen to campaign things, would the first thing I think you would think is, why do they put the most despicable people they have in places of authority? Here's what, I mean, seriously, every, <laughs> there, there's one, I don't know if you hear it down here, but there's, there's a race going up in Indianapolis for the House of Representatives. And basically, I mean, the, the commercials sound like this. My opponent raises small kittens and then puts them in bags and throws them over the overpass. And then she goes to the grocery store and she runs her cart into the back of old elderly women that can't walk on their own. Don't vote for her. They were crying out loud. And the other side's just as bad. And, and the thing that, that gets me is, I mean, maybe, I don't know if you're like this or not, but you know, the next candidate that comes up and says, you know what, my opponent, I'm pretty sure they, that I know they love their family and they love this country. We just have different ideas. You know, we have different ideas. If you want to put faith in there, that's fine. I don't know. I I would be really keen to vote for that person. And we just disagree. And here's how I'm going to do things different. We don't do that. What we hear is, if you elect this person, everything's going to be bad. I don't care if it's Joe or Donald. We're all guilty of it. That whatever side you're on, we're going bad now. Like John, it could be. And I'm like, you're right. For a while, here's what I want you to know. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You know what those words mean? They just spoiler alert here for the rest of the movie. We win. We win. And in my 53 years of going around the sun and being around a couple of elections, here's what I figured out. Whenever they decide who wins what and where, it's going to break down to this. 51% of the people are going to be happy. 49% are going to be miserable. And I think a lot of that's because we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the wrong places. And I think this is exactly what's happening to Thessalonia and the Thessalonian church. Is this, Paul was so excited to, to see this because they weren't putting their faith in something that was going to crumble or to be voted out. They had something bigger in mind. So as we meet this time of election, I know that there's some fear and there's some uncertainty, and I want you to know I, there are some misplaced allegiance. And, and, and I, we need to see the big picture that at the end of the day, I don't know, I'll go back to work on Thursday, won't you? I'll still love my neighbor. I won't be in a bunker somewhere. And, and there's a reason why. And before, before you get like, well, I don't like the way he's talking. I want you to hear out the whole of the message of the responsibility that we have. So we ask these questions. Where do you place your hope? What motivates? Is your faith misplaced? And is it yours? 
Have you examined it? Have you developed it? It's not your folk. It's not whoever you heard. I mean, don't trust me because I am as dumb as a box of camera. I just want to throw this out there, and I want you to I want you to delve. And then the last question is, can you take off the mask? And yes, it's a clever pun on where we're at because it's all about masks these days. I finally found one that's comfortable. That's the only thing I'm worried about. I don't care if I have to wear it. I just don't want it to hurt. I have big ears. Look like a taxi cab with the doors open. And, you know, you got to hang these things on those. But I'm asking you, can you take off the mask that we have been wearing for a long time? You're like, what mask? I'm talking about this. I'm talking about the mask where you come into church, you come into work, you come into where everybody else is, and they're watching you, and you put on that mask that everything's that you cover up the fact that there may be unforgiveness in your heart, or that you have been hurt and there's wounds and scars, or that you're wondering if you're a good parent or a good spouse. You know, the most perfect example of this is, and I don't know if any of you with kids ever did this, but did you ever do the drive to church and you're looking at the girls, the kids, and you're, my, I said girls because I have all girls. And here's the, here's the way I owe Kim so much because being in ministry, I, I don't remember driving my kids to church because I was always there before they were. And I knew it was, you know, I had three girls separated in age by three years. There was holy terror that went on in that car driving to church. And I know time and time again, pulling into the church parking lot, Kim would turn around and say, y'all better straighten up. Y'all better act like we know what we're doing here. I don't want people to know that we're, we're crazy. Now, I know I'm not the only family that had That's a map. Tell you what my man. There's sometimes when I drive home, and for the last 20 years, I have driven home on a Sunday after preaching two messages at least 15, 20 minutes, sometimes more. I mean, I drive and I'm like, even what you said? Because nobody kicked John Porter's backside better than John Porter, and I evaluate, right? Here, I want to make sure I put on that mask. You all put on the mat. Are you in a place where you are comfortable enough? Take it off. When you say, I'm okay, and you're not really, I want you to help me to grow. I need community. I need this fellowship. Or I believe, but it's in words, not necessarily in actions, but that mask on there. Can you take that off? Now, in this election cycle that we've been talking about, there, there's all these, these words, and we've been assaulted by words. I've been told that I'm good with words, and when I was told that, it was not in a, a flattering way. And all the sides in this election, they are using words to promise or to assure or to win you over. Like, if my opponent, my opponent is the epitome of evil, you should vote for me. I'm using those words to make you fearful of this opponent. Or I'm using these words to make you to look at my side of things. I'm going to give you this promise, no new taxes. I'm going to uh, 
I'm, we're going to stop fracking. We're not going to stop fracking. I don't even know what fracking is, but, but for it, evidently it's very important. All these words are used to promise stuff, but be with, how many times have the words that it were promised, how many times do we see those promises? Right? So people will say anything to get you to follow them. We are drowning in a sea of soundbite and information overload right now. And in the immoral words of William Shakespeare, the play Macbeth, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. But I'm here to talk to you about more. The gospel is not a matter of mere words. Gospel is power. Look at our scripture for today. Again, I'm reading from the New King James Version, starting with verse 4, first chapter, first letter to the Knowing, beloved brethren. Now that right there, the beloved brethren, however it says um, in your version that you who are brothers loved by God, brothers and sisters loved by God, this is important. This is important because in all the other writings up to this point, Remember that, that Paul is writing to a bunch of ragtag Gentiles in Thessalonica. They weren't invited to, I mean, like they, they didn't get invited to play the reindeer games. They, they were the misfits. And Paul uses wording that before this was only used to describe those who are Jewish, those who were God's chosen. So now just in this, he's saying, look, brothers loved by God, sisters loved by God, all of you loved by God. Things change. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. See what I did there? See, that's the whole thing, right? Your election by God. Here's the thing. We choose, we elect that which we love. It may not be the man or woman. Maybe it's a platform. Maybe it's a policy. Maybe it's an idea. But we choose or elect that which we love. The election that we're speaking of here is because God loved you. Your election by God for your for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in, in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this. When, when Paul writes, for our gospel did not come to you. Now, literally, when Paul is saying this in the Greek, what he's saying, our gospel did not come to you, it literally means the gospel became to you. Do you, you remember, um, and I'm trying to piece this together, how this works. Uh, for me, when music became something more than just pleasant things, when, I, when, it, when it went to a different level. I'd, I'd been playing music for a while. I, was, I think it was in fifth or sixth grade, and I discovered my dad's record collection. My tragically unhip dad's record collection. And the very first album that I pulled up was Miles Davis' Kind of Blue. I don't know who this guy is. Trump player, and I remember I put it on there, and the track, Freddie the Freeloader, when I heard it, 
and music became more than no sound became real. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's the first time you turned a, a, a wrench and, and you got that engine to sound just so sweet, and, and all of a sudden it was more than just knowledge. It was ah, first time that you danced with that special someone, and you knew, well, this is different than the other dances that I've had. I, I don't want this one to end. Pain. Maybe the first time that you, you were in that call or that job, and you're like, this is much different than just, hey, I, I feel that. The gospel came to Thessalonica, and it was more than just words on a page. Opened it up, and the words came on. The gospel became something to them. It became that living word. And that is what makes the gospel so powerful, that it is a living word. It's not just note after note of history and stuff that we, oh, look, we're on the begats this week, and let's get through it. There is power, and there is identity, and there is character in these words because it is a living thing. And not only is it a living thing, and not only does it come alive to us, I remember, I remember that after all these years in church, how the Word of God came alive to me in a hotel room in Traverse City, Michigan, reading a King James Version Bible that was left there by a local Gideon on a night when I didn't want to be alive any longer, when I didn't want to chase after this dream that seemed so hollow all of a sudden. And I've told this story. I went and got Gideon's Bible. You know why I got Gideon's Bible? Because the Beatles told me that it was there. Rocky Raccoon went to his room only to find Gideon's Bible. For the unhip and uninitiated there, that's what it was. I knew it was there. And I read what I remembered, but it was this verse, and, and I'll quote it poorly, but it was Paul writing to the church in Rome where it said, And Christ came at just the right time and died for those who had no use for him. I was All of a sudden, the word jumped from the pages into my heart and said, look, not this dictator. He's not, he's not mad at you. He did this before you even recognized him. He did this for you before you even felt like you needed him to do anything for you. He did this when you had no use for him at all because he loved you. All of a sudden, the word came out. I'll tell you what happened. Like, listen to that Miles Davis record for the first time. Every other word after that jumped off. Because the word of God is living and it has power, and that power is for miracles. That power is the message of Jesus Christ in power and the miracles that come with it, and the power for wonderful signs from God. But most importantly, and it's that way in your lives now, because in some way it's all become alive to you in a way. That is the power to change your mind to change your heart, and to change your life. That is the power of the amazing grace that takes those who were once lost and now they're found. Those who were once blind and now they can see. That is the power of a living word. And this is the power that came to the Thessalonians. They were changed by it. And the thing about it is that it is a message that is alive 
because it is presented by the Holy Spirit, a living person, a part of this Trinity that we talked about of God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is alive in us and dwells in us when we invite him in, who works within the hearts of the hearers to convict, to conform, and to instruct. And Christ died for you at just the right moment when you had no use for him. And that was a gut punch to me because I was just really, really enjoying the whining that I was doing about how I've got nobody that's fighting for me. And yet here all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, hey, you know what? Um, no, you're wrong. This is what Christ And that Holy Spirit that, that, that came and that, that when Christ ascended to his throne in heaven, he promised, I'm going to leave this here with you to comfort, to correct. It's a living thing. Look, I can speak. I didn't do it this morning. But I don't know if you, you've ever noticed, there are times when I pray before a message, and I'll ask God, I said, and, and Lord, let them be your word, and not mine, or any other man. And the reason I say that is because, look, I know I can give you. I know that I can say the right things. I know that I can make you laugh when I need to. That I can make you cry. It's all stick. It's all gimmick. That's all practice. I can speak words. I know I can't. I can speak, but they're just words. And they will be just words unless the Holy Spirit in you asks you and says, listen. And they're just words unless the Holy Spirit grabs me and says, get out of the way. Look, when it comes, when it comes to, to preaching, I get really uncomfortable. That was a great message. That was a great message. Did I ever tell you this joke? That's one of my favorite jokes in the world. Dear saint, to a new preacher would come up, take his hand. Thank God for the message. Come back next. Thank. You. Come back next week. Thank you for the message. He noticed this pattern. Like there'd be a couple weeks where it'd be thank God for the message, and then be a couple weeks where it'd be thank you for the message. And finally, he just said, "I got to ask, what's the difference between when you say thank God for the message and thank you for the message?" And she patted him on the shoulder. Well, honey, sometimes you're not that good. But that's it. That'll that'll be funny later. Because they're just words. Mine. They're... But when they are tied with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works through and with this living word, the living Holy Spirit with the living word, and great spiritual things happen in our lives. And I think what happens is after a while we take for granted power the word of God. There's a story that uh, it was Charles Spurgeon talking in Albert Hall, getting ready to do a uh, revival, and he was testing the acoustics. And they're still working on the hall. And he just stood up there and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And 15 workers gave their lives to Christ because of that. And it had nothing to do with what he did. It's the power of the Word of God. That's what's amazing. But we can take it for granted. 
Like, here's one way that I, just to be transparent, here's one way that I was convicted this week, how I take it for granted. I, I have three pals that I do Bible devotion online every day. And there'll be days where I'm like, oh, hurry, I'm get through this. I didn't get my Bible. So I'm reading really fast. Hit buttons, yeah, and it gives me a little check mark. Here's what I realized. There are times when I'm going through the Word of God, not because I want the Word of God to speak, but because I don't want to let those guys know that I didn't do it. So we can take the Word of God and we can take the power of the Word God and the power that rests in the Word of, of God for granted. And we shouldn't because it is a message given in much assurance. I have no confidence in myself as a preacher. I have no confidence in my qualifications to stand here before you. No. Like I said, I will tear myself down better than anybody else. But what I do have is an unshakable assurance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ came alive to me and changed me. And convicted me. And here's these Thessalonians. They are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ by becoming followers. They stop following other things and they follow Christ. And here's something that I need you to, to realize. And Paul even said it. It's not that Paul's bragging. He goes through and he says, and you followed me. I'm paraphrasing. You followed me and then you followed Christ. And that's important for us to realize, church, because the people that we will bring to Christ, the people that we will bring to this understanding of the power of the living word, the people that we will bring life-changing, life-giving, and life-changing baptism, the people that we will invest in to get them to that point will not come to follow God first. They'll follow up. We'll lead them. See, Paul came to Thessalonica, and he just he set up shop. What he did, he made tents, hung around, and he'd go to the, the temple, and he'd He'd speak, and I really liked what you said there at the temple, or I didn't really like what you said there, but then he would meet with them on the street, and, and they would sit there, and they would go, well, you know, let me see your life. And they saw it. They saw his life lived out, and they're like, well, that's really interesting, and I kind of want to be around that. And they started to follow Paul, and Paul led them straight to Christ and straight to the gospel, which is how it will happen with us. We will see Christ in someone else and we will be attracted to them and we will follow them to the place where they say, I want what you have, Jeff. And Jeff will go, well, I have Christ. But the big thing that I want you to see, other than them following us to get to Christ, is they stop. They, they're like, look, I'm not 100% sure where we're going, but I'm pretty sure what we're following now is not what we should be. So they stop following other things. Follow Christ. And don't, don't kid yourself. The following wasn't easy. It was never promised to be easy. The message that they heard came with adversity. They got, they got picked on. And look, okay, uh, please, can we... The church in the United States 
I'm going to make them up. We haven't known persecution. We've known inconvenience. We've known unpopularity. We haven't known persecution. So can we quit whining like we are? It's just a bad look. Makes it look like a pimp. And I don't mean to like rain on your parade or anything, but persecution is coming. I mean, it is. And if we think this is the persecution, we don't stand a chance from the real person. I mean, persecution is when you just gather two or three people to pray and they break through your doors prison. And they say you can't have a Bible club story of a friend that pastor. Pacific Rim talked about persecution of the home church in China where the leaders of the home church actually look forward to getting arrested because nobody would bug them, bother them, study God's word. When they figured that out, so they stopped letting them have Bible. So somehow they figured out a way to smuggle in a page at a time. Men and women, they would memorize that page. They would be that page for that section or that chapter. To the point where they wouldn't even use their name. They would just go, hey, somebody get a hold of John 1, 10 through 55, tell him dinner's ready. And they would come and they would recite it and they lived. That's another thing. Some of you get really fired up. and you get, I've read the Bible 140. I know every book in the Bible by memory. Great. You know what's really powerful? Live one page of it out loud. Live one verse out loud. There was power. And, and the following for the Thessalonians wasn't easy. It's not going to be easy for us. It was never promised to be easy. But when they, they heard the message, it came with that adversity, and they received it, and Paul thanked God for them because of it. When the Thessalonian Christians faced the affliction from receiving the word, they didn't just face it with despair. They faced it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Ah, it's daylight saving time. It's going to get dark an hour earlier. No, it's going to get light an hour earlier. And this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 7. Here's what happens after they receive that. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They responded to the gospel by becoming examples, not mouthpieces, not sound bites, but examples and how they loved one another, how they served one another, how they interacted with their enemies and the people that persecuted them. They became living examples of the gospel. And this is exactly how the work of God should happen. It shouldn't have to be on the power of a pastor or a preacher or a minister 
or a reverend, and the words they speak, it should be that somewhere those words take root and anchor in you and change you from the inside out, and you live that. And look, these Thessalonians weren't perfect. Later on in these letters, Paul's sitting there going, you got this doctrine wrong. Don't follow this. You're a little sexually immoral. We got to work on this. He's telling us this in the very first part of the letter, knowing that they're a hot mess back here, but they've got this right that they will become examples. And sometimes the example is how we fall and how we get back up. The fall does not disqualify us. I once, once taught school PE, and I was substituting, and I had a young boy that, that uh, was in grace at, in the MS. And we were playing dodgeball. And I'm like, you, I didn't know. He was mad. Like, what? Get away from me. Dude, I'm playing dodgeball. Said, well, what most profound thing that ever happened to me in teaching you? I said, well, what happens if you get knocked down? And he looked up at me like I was the dumbest guy on the earth because I, I am. And he goes, I get up. And I'm like, okay. And I want to tell you the truth. That kid was brutal. And Paul's sitting there going like, look, I'm not waiting to tell you this because you're perfect and got it all together. I'm telling you this because you are following. And when you fall down, you get back up and you go like, oh, I got to get back here. I got to follow this right. I've got to be in this place. They responded to the gospel by becoming examples. And that's what the world needs now. Look, I voted like y'all did. I'm not going to tell you how I voted. I'm not going to get really worked up about it. Because at the end of the day, you know what the election does for me on Tuesday and the result? It doesn't change a thing for me. Because I've been commanded by the living word of God through the Holy Spirit that lives in me and the Christ that died for me to be an example to that gospel. Regardless of whoever is in that, that White House, whoever is in that State House, I have been commanded to be an example of the living word of Jesus Christ. And it's reminding me that I shouldn't yell it or preach it as much as I should live. And that's what the world needs Christians. The world needs Christians who will show them how to follow Christ beyond us just telling them how they're not. Going on, they responded by delivering and advancing the word of the Lord. When, when in the New King James Version, when it uses the phrase "sounded forth," that means a loud ringing sound, as of a trumpet blast. And in a city like Thessalonica, who we've learned they were poised to be considered the center of the known world because they, of their shipping routes and their economy, that loud blast could then reach every place on earth. So when the Thessalonians received the word of God from Paul, they responded to it by leaving their idols and they gave themselves to serve the living and true God. Their reception of the word and their faith in God was shown as true because they did something with the word of God. We need to do something with the word of God. 
But then Paul pointed out the essence of salvation in saying that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. We are saved from something. And that something is the righteous wrath of a holy God. It will not continue to go on like this. There will be a point when the maker of heaven and earth says, enough. It's my ball, it's my game, and I'm taking it back and going home. And on that day, he will call those who are his own and spare them his wrath. That's not a popular thing to say because nobody wants to to hear about that. But he has every right to do that because he is a, a righteous God. And what he saves us from is not the result of an election and not a pandemic and none of that. All of that pales in comparison to the day when God says, enough. I've given you ample opportunity to follow me and now I will judge, and I'm going to bring the ones I love home. Because I don't want them to have to put up with this anymore. Anything we think we're going through, nothing compares to the wrath that's coming there. But he, in the essence of salvation, has made a way through Jesus to deliver us from that wrath. What should we take away from it? Here's what I need you to do. Before Tuesday, after Tuesday, next Sunday, three days from now, five weeks from now, whenever. Here's what you need to be doing if you're serious about the faith. Keep demonstrating. Keep demonstrating your faith. You keep showing it. You keep living. It has nothing to do. That edict right there has nothing to do with the election results. That edict there has nothing to do with the pandemic of whether we can meet together or not. That has nothing to do with any of this. That just says this. We are to keep demonstrating our faith. Quote, Chance the Rapper, for the hip kids, don't believe in kings, believe in the kingdom. Like I said before, at the end of this election, 51% of the nation is going to be kind of happy, 49% is going to be, and it's going to flip again. Sometimes those of us who believe in God need to be reminded of what the Word can do, the Word. Here's the other thing that I need to mind. It's funny how this works. When I obey His Word, I end up in His blessing. When I obey His Word, I experience His power. And when I remember that he is still working in my life, and I remember that because I can tell you when he worked in my past, keep exercising. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't see him all the time. Sometimes I walk out blind. It's what we sang this morning. It's blessed this turn. That my dad is bigger than you or the world. And when it comes down to the, the whooping, my dad the more than he is. Even if I there's a great song, Steve Green has sometimes when we cannot touch him, we must trust the heart. 
Go back to what I tell you. There's not a moment in our lives, your life, my life, country's life, world's life, history's life. There's never been a moment where God looks down and goes, I didn't see that coming. I don't know what to do now. Never been. Never Exercise. Keep demonstrating for faith. The other one is being an example. Not only working and demonstrating your faith, but being an example of it. And I don't care where you're at, how you've fallen down all this, because I know this for sure. God will use you in spite of your mess. And look, don't get over, get over yourselves right now. Every one of you in here has a mess. Every one of you in here. Some of you are a little short on the grace. You're a little short on the mercy. Some of you are a little short on the unforgiveness. Some of you gave out Tootsie Rolls to the trick-or-treaters last night. You know that's wrong. You know that's not what you do. We're all a little mess, right? I, if I lived in Milan, I would give out cards. There you go. You know, one time in college, we had a, we, we ended up renting a house. We didn't realize we rented a house in the residential area. And Halloween came, and all these kids started coming to the door. And we were too stupid to go and too poor to go out and buy candy. So we just went to the pantry, and we were giving people, like, chicken noodle soup. Hey, buddy, here's a can of pork and beans. <laughs> Jerk! You're right. Go ahead. Happy Halloween. Keep being an example. We're not there yet. God is still working. Thessalonians weren't there yet, but he was working on them, and they were following him. They realized they needed following him. God will use you in spite of your mess. And if you're in a mess right now, God will use you in that mess, but you need to follow him. So here's the good news. Here's, here's where we're going to end it. Ready? I know that not all of you have had this. I've had that experience when you're in gym class in school, and you don't you're the last. Every time a name's called, it's not yours. Maybe you got looked over for a job, weren't invited to a party, weren't chosen. Felt not. We've all had something. Remember that six feeling the pit of your stomach because I like to measure up. No. Here's the amazing, incredible, wonderful truth. However, your translation reads knowing, loved, rather loved by God. not only chosen but you are known by that creator and and that creator pursued even in our stumbling you are pursued by a heavenly father who stepped down from his kingdom to become one of us taking up a cross in our place and gladly bearing our shame that we would know his deep and unending love for us that is who you are you are not Republican. You are not Democrat. You are not asymptomatic or symptomatic. 
You are not this, that, and the other. Above all things, you are chosen by the maker of heaven and earth, and you are chosen not because of what you've done, but because he loves you. He wants you to know. And because he has chosen you, he has put that, that trust in you that is so deep, he has sacrificed so much, he has loved so much that he makes an example out of you from what you once were to what you will be. And that each and every one of us in here are a vehicle for his message of hope and of life and of restoration. Your faith is a testimony of his awesome grace. And you may not notice it, but everyone sees the change. Because people will be watching and they will see God in you if you follow him. And if you are following him, they will follow you to him. In our lives, our lives are one of the best pictures of God's character. What are people seeing of God when they look at me? Are they seeing the way that he loves and how he lives? Are we seeing that God's character coming out in the way we live and love and have the power to draw others to him? That's what he's doing so we continue the race. We don't get tired, and I know you're tired. I'm tired. You're frustrated. You just want this to be over. You want it to be back the way it was. I got news for you. It's not going back to the way it was. Because the way it was is what got us in this mess in the first place. God is doing a new thing. And the pandemic may calm down. And the election cycle will be over. And then start over. And then be over. And start over. And all that may happen. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is doing a new thing. So continue the race, bearing the cross as Christ did for us and he's still doing for us now. And be that example. And because you are following God, others will follow you to him. And when they do, give them the word. You walk them into the baptistry to welcome them into this new life. And you celebrate with them but you realize that all the while you are the examplers and the ambassadors of the greatest word ever.